What's up, guys? It's Pilot Boys, episode 92. Today, we're going to talk about the Olympics and Simone Biles pulling out. We're going to talk about USA basketball, and we're going to talk about Kanye. And later on, we have an interview with the amazing comedian Paul Varghese. This was just such a brilliant interview, and honestly, I learned so much. I really think you should tune in for that. You're going to love it. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha. This is a great episode, 92. Wait, this is your birth year, isn't it? It's my birth year, baby. We out here. And let's let's get it, Pilot Boys in the building. Partha, what are we going to be talking about today? Man, I'm juiced. I'm so juiced, bro. Let's start. Let's start with the hot topic. Let's start with Simone Biles dropping out the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, as we have to do before you and I give our takes, we always have to give the context. So first of all, you and I definitely sympathize with people who are suffering from mental health issues and understand the burden of those issues straight up we also understand the pressure of the olympics um the pressure of performing at high levels consistently because we talk about it a lot (laughs) you know there's times where you just want to say i don't feel like doing shit today yeah Um, but with that being said you can't necessarily choose the day of the olympics to make that decision right like there are certain days no matter how you're feeling you've got to step up to the plate and deliver that's what winners do you know yeah so this is a tricky situation and my issue with this is that i don't feel like her communication on this has been consistent so i don't know what to believe one hand she is saying that she didn't want to let her teammates down then she said she was injured then she said it was mental health that she can't handle all the pressure and I'm just sitting here like, which one is it, first of all? And second of all, you can't wear. She literally on her uniform was wearing the goat the goat uh, emoji on her uniform recently. So she's accepted and embraced the mantle of the goat, right? Um, and to not perform at the Olympics, this isn't. You know, as we were talking off air, this isn't an NBA player taking a couple games off during this an 82-game season. This is something that the whole world in the entire gymnastics world has been waiting specifically for her to perform for four years in this moment, you know, as the best self-proclaimed and universally acclaimed GOAT. And she just backed out. And I feel like if you're going to do that, there there better be a real explanation of something seriously, seriously being wrong. Yeah. I mean, I'd say this, like you're taking someone's spot, you know, you took someone's spot on the plane. You took someone's spot where you stayed. You took someone's spot on the floor and you backed out. I mean, to me, it's it's weak, honestly. Like I appreciate mental health issues, but as a competitor, that's what you signed up for on the greatest stage. You know, it's what you should want to compete in if you like competition. And if you don't, then don't sign up for it. Like nobody is asking you to be in the Olympics another time, you know, 
And she had a really bad Olympic trials. You know, it was like a lot of maneuvering behind the scenes that actually got her on the team. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the reality of, of this situation. And I also feel like this is kind of what happens in the aftermath of these issues is that we never look at these things through an objective lens. It's like, if you do look through an objective lens and you don't, if you're not either showering praise on her as a hero for the mental health struggle, or you're not on the opposite end saying that she's an evil, selfish, horrible human being that you can't be somewhere between those two and say, Hey, there's some things that I have that I think I have issues with how she did it and what she did from a com- competition standpoint. I hope she's okay. Health wise. For, sure, for you sure. Can, you can do both of those things. And I feel like that's where we're missing a lot in society. There's no real convert dialogue happening. It's just people wanting to be mad at each other and and, and being in a position to do so, right? Like yeah. there's no real dialogue happening around this topic. It's either you're in one camp or the other. Dude, yeah. and, and to your point, right? It's like, you should want the best for her. Yeah. But you should also be able to acknowledge she's not a good competitor anymore. Yeah. She used to be. Yeah. Clearly she's not. And that's okay. Like people fall off, you know, people aren't as good later on in their career sometimes. Like that's, that's kind of how it goes for some athletes. And, you know, she's one of them. And I think on her part, to your point, V, the way that you handle a situation is always what you're judged by. And yeah. if you can clearly, directly own up to what's going on and say to a camera, you know, I messed up in this situation. I thought I could get over what I was dealing with, got to the Olympics. It got a lot worse. You know, yeah. I'm disappointed that I'm not in a state to support or lead this team. But yeah. there's like a thousand, you know, to me, there's a thousand different ways that you can handle something well. And in a lot of these situations, obviously, when you're not in good mental health, it's hard to do it objectively, yeah. you know, so you got to got to understand that. But in a lot of these situations, usually it's perceived that the athletes being a diva because of how they handle the situation. And unfortunately for Simone, she's extenuated that perception with her actions. Yeah, she has. And you put it, you, you keep, you kept harping on a critical word, word or phrase, which is she let her team down, right? This is, although it is an individual sport, the Olympics are very, as much as any sport about something bigger than you. Right. And I think in, I'd like to dissect when people are asked questions, how many times they say I or my or I over and over and over again. And this is a Simone Biles thing. This isn't, I didn't like that she said she was trying to do what was best for the team because what was best for the team was even a 60% Simone Biles is better than 95% of the world, right? And keep it composed and have a bad yeah. performance. That's okay. Yep. And don't, I mean, reduce the risk. And you're like, the, one of the things they said was that to that she's literally risking her life with how difficult the type of things that she's doing are. If she's not in a good mental space, this could be putting her in danger. Okay. Well, tone down the risk then. You are. Shoot the for greatest, bronze. You are the greatest gym, gymnast in the world. You know what I mean? Like. 
nobody's yeah. asking you to do the the one trick nobody else can do you know mm -hmm. i'm i'm sure okay people are asking for that by the way but yeah. you don't have to do it yeah you, and yeah you know and i do think that there is a difference between what happened in this situation and what happened in the naomi osaka situation yep because naomi tried to create a such solution that would help her perform which was to not do the post-game interviews and when they find her and said they were going to continue to find her and that they would suspend her if she didn't make herself available for media then she took the action of pulling out and saying i need to take care of my mental health you know she, she handled it perfectly and yeah you know, clearly in both of our opinions yep yep you know naomi osaka i mean she's what she's 21 yep yeah, it's just yeah. it's such a tremendous amount of maturity for her and you know shout out to whoever's around her sounds like some really good people but this is like it's it's the byproduct of a lot of success sometimes is you yeah. get people who end up turning into head cases you know and it's like you know no disrespect to mental health but i'm gonna call it how i see it like there's a lot of people who have been very successful at things and they lose it mentally they can't handle the pressure they set expectations on themselves and like the thing with life this is what you know this is probably gonna be the most controversial thing i say but mental health is your choice at the end of the day you have mm -hmm. the mental power to control how your mind works and i am okay with you saying i'm dealing with this i'm dealing with that i have this chemical imbalance okay i get that it's fine you still have the ability to control your actions be measured about how you approach situations understand your nature and put yourself in situations where you'll thrive as opposed to situations that hurt you and make you act erratic and i think that whenever we see people going down this this kind of slide it's just an indicator that internally they're losing their balance and they're starting mm -hmm. to spiral and you know at the end of the day man like you hate to see it but also from the individual standpoint i really expect you if you want to be a member of society that's contributing to handle your shit man like you yeah. really got to take care of your shit like yeah, you this do. is ridiculous to me that you could be someone who's making millions of dollars off sponsorships you know you said this before the podcast i don't yeah. want to take your take your steam no but, it's, it's, yeah. it's the obvious point right it's not, yeah it's this not is going. what you're paid for and you quit on everybody that yeah. bet on you i mean that's just that's just to me like that's whack at the end and, of the day and i think we gotta reiterate the point right it's like this is a completely different conversation if she doesn't get on the plane yeah completely different she says you know and they gave um she had know, weeks by the way leading yeah. up to the olympics yeah don't get on the plane you know and, don't take or, the spot or or just be there as a moral support but there, there's something when you actually go out there and perform it's almost like i i honestly feel like it's she noticed she wasn't performing well up to her own standards she's not used to that see this is the conversation you know i think if we were being honest she could have openly and honestly i was i've had all these expectations put on me as the greatest of all time i have these high standards I'm not performing to those standards and I'm not used to not being able to perform to those standards that you guys have set and that I've set on myself and I don't know how to handle it. That's being honest and straightforward, right? Yeah. Yeah. Plus, if you lose, 
and you went out there and tried, it's all respect. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing you get. If you go out and you fail, the only thing you'll get from anyone is respect. Yeah, yep. sure, some people might talk some trash, but really, at the end of the day, like, I'm sorry to say it, but nobody gives a fuck about gymnastics outside of the Olympics, you know? Yep. So yep. this would be forgotten in a week. Yeah, it will be. That's it crazy be. to me. Like, And it's honestly not a lot of headlines if Simone Biles went out and doesn't win gold. And, and you know what's really frustrating about this? There's a whole Olympic Games going on. People are winning medals, representing their country. And this is the story and headline that everyone wants to talk about versus what the Olympics actually are, which is a global games, right? Yeah, true. It's like it's always the mess. We always try to find these stories. I remember it, this happened in, in Rio with the Ryan Lochte story. It's always like people doing stuff to take the attention off of what this stuff is really about. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I mean, other olympics related headlines like we could talk about you know a lot of different sports like the debut of skateboarding for example which you know i, I do have to mention was awesome to watch this week pretty cool pretty yeah cool. pretty super cool. cool you know that is a sport and I, i'm bringing this up because it's related to the simone biles thing nyjah houston was the favored person going in mm-hmm. he didn't even meddle in the in the um i forget what it's called it's like a trick trick some, some, some the, the first skateboarding event he didn't even medal he got like seventh he did a bad job and the kid who won is 19 it's this 19 year old kid from japan and he's nuts he, he did some crazy shit and that's okay nija still has his nike deal everyone still respects nija the skateboarding community has love for him and anybody who knows his brand saw him go out there be swaggy try a bunch of cool shit and fail trying cool shit. Mm-hmm. To me, that is how you go out as a leader and a winner. Like that's the definition of greatness to me. Is like go out, put your all out there. The outcome is not in your control. It's just not. Yeah, and I, and I just want to I want to ask you this question because there you're kind of in in the in between world, right? Like I feel like a lot of stuff is excuse making generally um in i see that a lot right like i come from an era where michael jordan played through the flu game right you know people broke broke their legs and kept playing tom brady played last year with a torn meniscus like yeah that stuff was like i mean i understand and that chris paul by the way in the finals with torn ligaments in both hands yeah so it's like but it seems like now it's more that's less less glorified and this like a reason behind why you're not doing what you need to do almost results in hero worship i understand we need to have conversations about mental health and we need to treat mental health better in this country but what we can't do is create through that as a byproduct, create a culture of quitting, you know, or a culture of generally like human weakness, right? Like making excuses for every reason you don't step up to a situation isn't healthy. Yeah, it isn't. It isn't letting yourself off the hook too much. And, you know, excusing lack of growth is not healthy. You know, so 
that's what I appreciate so much about how Naomi Osaka handled her situation is mm -hmm. that she's getting better as a person from it, right? Like, mm -hmm. obviously, it must be totally different being on a world stage the way she is now. The yeah. way it was uh, even a couple of years ago wasn't even close. Now she has this Netflix show. Like, the level of fame is is honestly really absurd for a kid. Yeah, but it is. she recognized it said, hey, I'm having problems and everybody has problems, right? Everybody yep. through life. And, you know, I'm a person, I consider myself in the same realm as athletes or entertainers because I'm an entrepreneur and it, it works the same way. Yep. And so if I'm out here like, yeah, I have anxiety sometimes. Yeah, I have depression sometimes. Yeah, I go through stuff. But I would never, ever, ever stop doing what I do because I don't feel up to it. Like that's the, that's a selfish decision. Like I do what I do because it's my purpose and for yeah. no other reason. And if it's my purpose, every challenge along the way is to make me better in some way. I just believe in looking at the world like that. So when I see athletes that flake out like this or entrepreneurs or, you know, musicians or whatever, it just it's frustrating to me because I'm I sit here and I'm like, look, like you've got this platform, a platform many people would die for. And you you're just squandering it and using it to, you know, prevent yourself from becoming the best version of you. And at some point you have to recognize that with platform comes responsibility, a societal uh -huh. responsibility to be a leader and a role model for a lot of people. And I don't appreciate when people make the argument, oh, I'm not a role model. I'm not a role model. Yes, you are. Just by default. It's not your choice. It was society's yeah. choice. They put you in that situation. So now you are and you can't change that. Yep. So since you are a role model, be a fucking role model. You yep. know, set yep. a good tone and show the next generation how it's done. And like, I don't know. I hate I hate being the guy who is the most mentally tough in a large group of people like i hate that like yeah. i want everyone else to understand that they can do whatever they want and it's in the mind and yep. it's these types of figures like simone biles and how she handles this that make it okay for people to quit not quit in a reasonable way like naomi but to quit in a selfish way yeah it's a difference yeah. there's a difference between failing and quitting yes there is there is. And there's also a, a difference between an individual sport and a team sport, right? Yeah. And when there are other people who are depending on you, and you know this through entrepreneurship and how, you know, there, there are probably days even on this podcast that I might be having a bad day or you're having a bad day. The other person kind of has to carry the show because you recognize that. And, yeah. but if, you're not going to just not show up. I'm not going to be sitting here speaking to a, a carve out of you. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And you know what, dude? Like for everyone out there, it's easier to be broke and to have nothing than to build something because the expectations that you set on yourself and that are set on you as you build something can drown you. So there's the empathy for Simone Biles. That's a real thing. And it's very hard for people to handle. And I have had nowhere near that kind of exposure that she has that, you know, a lot of major celebrities have. So honestly, like my place of comment, this this is, you know, that that's the argument for why I don't know shit about this. But I will say that 
getting to a place like that requires a certain amount of mental fortitude. You wouldn't be able to make it there if you didn't have it. And when it fades to me, that's a product of losing a lot of the habits that got you there. Yep. Yep. And if the, and if the people that care about you, you know, and are around you don't hold you accountable. And this is the other thing you're talking about celebrity and fame. Some of the issue comes with the celebrities themselves, but what we don't talk about enough is how much that is influenced by the people around them and how they handle them when they make missteps because we all make bad decisions that's where parents come in that's where mentors come in that's where teammates come in that's where coaches come in but if we are going to get into the realm of making excuses for people and and either being on a side where someone's a complete victim or someone's an extreme hero and we can't look at situations and dissect them honestly we're headed in a troubling troubling direction overall in society and sports is really a microcosm of why we love sports is the game within the game which is the culture applies so much to real life and what we're all going through in terms of just winning and losing every single day and if we start going down this path it's going to start impacting more than just sports yeah i mean dude like how many times you know have you woken up in your life and been like man like a hard day this is a hard situation i'm in i don't know how i'm gonna get out of it but i gotta figure it out mm-hmm. you know and like as you grow there's an expectation of pace of growth as well which is what drowns people mm-hmm. because just because you crushed it one year doesn't mean you have to crush it the next year you know and also most of the people who set expectations on you to the point of the people you're around right mm-hmm. a lot of people lose touch with the friends that keep them grounded and they find folks who play to their ego, always yes. say yes. And those those types of people, when they come around, can really take away everything that made you great. Because yep. if you're ever thinking in your head that you're better than somebody else, you know, you're not. Like everyone has different skills, everyone has different talents. And at the same time, everyone has the same ability to be great because it's all about mental strength. It's all about changing how you think and how you view the world. Right. And that, yeah. And that's a great segue into talking about Giannis and the Milwaukee Bucks, our 2021 NBA champions. Right. Because if you look at who that guy is and what he represents to his community, his team, his family, the NBA at large, it is that. Right. Yeah. Do your job, you know, and, 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 and be there for the people that matter, be there for your teammates. You know, help everyone around you get better. Give people credit that they deserve. And just put your hard hat on and work and win. Like, this is one of the best basketball stories, I think, in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Is how this guy did it. And right? the thing is, bro, look at the smile on his face every day. Mm-hmm. That is the attitude of a winner. Yep. Yep. He's not, he doesn't, he, you're never going to hear him whine about the criticism that people had. Like he's not even getting a lot of some, some of the players throughout the playoffs were just hating on him. You know, what's crazy too. I saw D book and CP three talk to the refs more than they talked to their teammates. Yep. Giannis didn't say one word to the ref no. folks on the game. 
Yep. Folks on his team every day. Yep. Yep. It's just that's the difference, right? That's the difference is when when you understand that you're in a position of privilege, no matter your position. You could be a fry cook at McDonald's. You could be, you know, a janitor at a school, but you're in a position of privilege to impact many, many, many people. And when you look at life like that, you understand how important you are to the world and how everything comes together. Yep. 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 You have to play your role for the entire thing to work, right? Yeah. And play it the right way, you know, play it yep. with heart. Yep. And you have examples, you know, not everyone's going to be just like Giannis. You know, people have struggled through different things, different life circumstances, different everything. But you have a Giannis to look at as an example. You have other people in your life to look at as examples. You can either choose to follow the leaders or you can follow the losers. And I yeah. think a, a lot of us choose to follow the losers and yeah. that's unfortunate yeah i i mean i couldn't agree more and that's that's a tricky part right it's like we look at indicators of success but we can never see inside somebody's head or their heart to see how they truly operate and work and i think if you did have an outward indicator that you are a mentally strong emotionally healthy person i think that we would have a really large change in how society operates a hundred percent 100%, you know, um, and, and st to Simone, Simone Biles, like, hopefully this is a, a situation when she looks back on because like, we all do things that embarrass ourselves and are really bad decisions and make bad choices. It's really going to come down to in a month from now, or a few weeks from now, when she looks back on this situation, whether she does so publicly, or internally to acknowledge that this is a her thing yeah this isn't anybody else's issue this is her issue and she needs to own it yeah you know that's that's such a great point because avoidance is very common mm -hmm. in the mindset of of you know people who are struggling like this and you know also does simone get better you know we wish the best for you yeah we do we do yeah um, moving on, Olympics news continued. Uh, Team USA, you know, struggling a lot, actually. Yeah, they finally, uh, I think they finally obliterated someone. They took all their frustrations out on Iran, I believe, today. <laughs> this team Iran, is... Iran has bigger issues than basketball, so yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think that, 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 that one shouldn't count, but it's just an an underpinning of team, right? The theme of today, which is you can have all the talent in the world, you know, but if your guys aren't playing together and everyone's not there mentally and everyone's not playing for each other, yeah, it's going to be very difficult to win. And you see that, you know, US team USA got, got beat despite clearly having, it's like literally the monster. Measurably so much more talent. It's like the it's yeah. like the monsters versus the Toon Squad, right? Yeah. Like when the, and without LeBron. Without yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. So it's uh but hopefully they get it together um and 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 deliver us a gold. It's yeah, they'll figure it out. I mean, the other part of it is chemistry too. So for yeah. a lot of these guys, they got to get used to the different style of play. They don't get their same foul calls. They just got to figure out how to how to make it work. 
and reinforcement reinforcements are coming and and with the way the season was this year in the nba going as long as it did these guys didn't get a lot of chance to build that chemistry so no. let's not read too much into them losing opening round games once they get to the quarterfinals semifinals and finals as long as they they show up we'll be fine yeah 100 percent. on the uh you know on the news of you know so much talent but that execution you know another missed release date by mr kanye west yeah i mean <laughs> we we talked about this in one of our group chats and, and i made a bet yeah that it wasn't happening on on friday and god bless the real true unrelenting kanye fans because yeah. <laughs> every time he does this they believe him and every time he disappoints them yeah shout out snay <laughs> <laughs> where's my 50 dollars, snay where is it <laughs> I expected there. I expected this weekend. Oh my God. Oh, it was, it's horrible. And then, you know, this is all like the thing about Kanye is it gets to a point where you really have to, I don't know why he fools people all the time because a lot of this he does intensely. Then he's sleeping. Why do you need to sleep in the Mercedes Benz stadium? That's just marketing and promotion. Like, yeah. why does he need to have a, a, a room there? What's, what's that? Like his, he needs to be in that stadium to create his <laughs> energy to mi actually mix down his album. Like, yeah. shouldn't you be doing that in a in a, a sound studio? <laughs> yeah, there's a ton of studios around that would happily, you know, house him right right next door in the studio if he wants to. But it's amazing. Like that's that's the thing about this stuff, yeah. man. It's like yeah. it never ceases to amaze me how generally stupid we choose to be. Like. This guy does the same thing for what the last five albums where he just <laughs> says he's going to release something. He'll either drop. Sometimes he doesn't even release anything at all and just says, hey, that project is done. You know? Yeah, seriously. We're still waiting on Yandy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's never coming out. <laughs> so. I mean, that that's exactly the thing, right? Like we, you know, and I mean, God bless Kanye, man. Like he is just. He's a one of one type of person. But, you know, to your point, it's funny how fame makes us be so forgiving to people yeah. who don't treat us well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, I get it, though, because it's definitely tough to to make great things. But expectation setting is one of the really important skills to learn in life. And the most important and probably best piece of advice I've ever heard is set the expectations low and overachieve yes. every time, you know, always under, under promise and over delivers another way to say it. And Kanye does the opposite over promises and under delivers. Yeah. And what's, what's really troubling is not just the way I look at it is this is insidious the way he does it, because I don't think he has any intention. It's all about, crafting a narrative and he doesn't like you you said at the beginning of this he's not he doesn't give a damn about the impact that it's having on fans and everybody else because it's all about him yeah. right and it's almost like bro you knew like why are you putting why 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 weren't you what were you doing you, you had the whole pandemic 
to to be recording and mixing down your stuff where what were you doing yeah well Suddenly, also like in in 24 recording hours versus, he's got to mix everything down yeah know? recording verses up until he played it for the first time like they they showed Jay-Z recording his verse like four hours before they like yeah. are you serious? Like it's it's all it's all crafted in my opinion. Yeah. It's all crafted. And he he read a book somewhere that that says chaos and attention. Creating chaos drives attention, and that is what he lives by. Are you thinking of a book? Uh not specifically, but that's been in that that theory is 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 prevalent a few different things that i've read i can't think of where and how you probably might be t able to tap into it but i'm sure you've you've thought about that yeah that same principle i'm not you sure know and running all this back i mean there's a reason sports and music are classified as entertainment right mm -hmm. like people are entertained people have something to think about that's not you know whatever the fuck's going on in the government you know what i mean or whatever the fuck's going on in the world right so you know, it is serving its purpose. So shout out Kanye for always keeping people excited and entertained. But it's, uh, you know, it's also it's funny and a little sad to see people get their hopes so high and then repeatedly get crushed. Yeah, that's the sad part of this, right? Yeah. Is that people put so much weight into what somebody else is going to deliver for them versus figuring out how to make themselves happy this goes back to that same point i made earlier like you just have to recognize when you're in a position where you are a role model and you know so influential to so many and you just can't squander that responsibility and you can't mistreat people because when you are that big and especially when you're that vulnerable with your art where people connect with you so deeply you should be gentle in how you interact with those people because mm -hmm. they they really have formed a deep emotional connection with you through your art yep yep it's unnecessary um but kanye will be kanye uh, yeah he is a, he is a genius um you know there is the term evil genius you know some people just think it's a mental health issue i feel like it's a combination of of narcissism and intentionality personally i feel yeah. like you know it's like the it's you know like the bad kid at school who does something bad and it gets him in the attention and the attention is what makes him continue to do it over and over despite the consequences not think that that's kanye you know 100 and like you know when I, I i have to finish my rant here yeah what how how do you even like to miss to miss the date so badly right Mm -hmm. And then to keep telling people it's about to get done, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's it's not, it's not, it's not done. It's not, it's not close to done. Will yeah. he hit this week? I don't know. It's it's actually two weeks out that they set the release date. They said August six, two yeah. weeks from when he said it was going to come out, right? Yep. First of all, now nobody cares about the art. Yep. You know, you ha you put together this brilliant visual landscape absolutely brilliant the way it was lit the way it was structured the way it was put together you created an emotive complete experience for people and you created a beautiful work of art that puts together an entire circle of healing in your life that you hadn't gone through until recently you know mm -hmm. what i mean that to me is unbelievable and now nobody's thinking about that yeah yeah it's the spectacle right and i yeah. think that's the the 
world we're in now is it's all about the spectacle, right? Yeah. Like, you know, and, and you know, the, the, the Drake line that you, you keep repeating in many of our conversations, you know, that fame is disconnected from excellence, right? Bro, I, I think I say that once a day. I think I say it all the time, yeah. you know, because it's, it is the reality. Like if you look at art, you know, and you know, T-Pain had his famous Instagram rant similarly about about the lack of care toward the art, the lack of originality, the lack of so many things in a society that encourages being prolific. Yeah. You know, yeah. Putting out trash. Um and and caring more about drawing attention to yourself than making a good product and that's across art forms you know yeah. there's nothing wrong with putting out a lot of stuff but if 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 you treat people especially your fans the right way then i think it can be really meaningful to offer up as much as you can there's a difference between being um being prolific and being prolific and caring about quality your quality yeah right and I think there's so many people who just want it, will put out anything, you know, yeah. they have, and you know, that's like a Takashi six, nine, right? Yeah. Like his music is trash, you yeah. know? And, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter because what people are buying into is the crazy guy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it is what it is, but I mean, as a, someone who loves creative art and appreciates art and grew up through many years of experiencing some of the best artists in music and sports um, in art, it's kind of disheartening to kind of see so many people only care about the attention and not about the art. It's like lead with the art, the attention will come like people lead with the attention and hope the art catches up yeah because it's everyone's about themselves these days to your point narcissism you know i don't know if it's on the rise but let's just say it's on the rise right yeah because to your point if you made something all the goal should be is first of all it's not yours right the, the principle of art is that it comes from source through you through mm -hmm. a person right that's the entirety of what art is it's it's greater than us so when we make it and channel it, it's not ours, mm -hmm. right? It's it's the universe's. So when you look at something like that as yours, it's very easy to get egotistical about it. But mm -hmm. people's reaction is it's it's magnified when you're connected. You know, it's magnified when when you're creating something that comes from a bigger place than just you being narcissistic, and at the end of the day, like we see, we see so many creators and artists today getting high off their own supply. Like they get high off the Instagram likes, they get high off the mm -hmm. whatever. And it's like, but that, that wasn't, that wasn't what you did this for. Like you didn't do this for attention or maybe you did. And that's actually a bigger problem if you're doing what you do for attention, but yep. do what you do because you love doing it. And if you don't love doing it, then stop doing it. Simple. So simple. And I just, I, the, I like for the life of me, I don't understand how like i do understand right i understand why people do things for attention because they don't love themselves that's the truth of it like that's that's how most of human all of humanity works mm -hmm. you know it's 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 driven by self-love 
And I can't, for the life of me, understand why more people can, can't look in the mirror and say, hey, I'm, I'm doing some shit and I feel empty as hell. I look at all of what I'm drinking or smoking or these drugs I'm doing like something's off, man, because those people that look happy aren't doing any of this shit. Right. Like how long does it take to to have that realization? And I think, you know, the answer to that, you know, just to finish the rant is as long as it takes to meet a happy person. Yep. 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 It's nuts, man. It's 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 unbelievable. It's unbelievable that there's there's it's it's tough you know and i'm happy that i you know that i don't have to develop my mind in this era right because i can appreciate how tough it is because you're getting drowned with so much information that it's hard to develop your own thoughts yeah your own identity because from a very young age you're thrown into this world where everything that everyone else is saying about you to you is more important than what you think about yourself yeah that's that's the truth right the only thing that matters is what you think of yourself Mm -hmm. that's it yep yeah you love who you are you believe you're a kind person you'll probably do kind things you'll probably love others too yeah yeah well i mean we could continue this conversation forever but we do have a uh, pretty exciting second segment. We're not going to be doing a deep dive today, um, but we do have an exciting second segment that we hope will make you laugh, Partha. I know you're stoked about this. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be this awesome interview with Paul Varghese. This, uh, you know, Paul, I actually looked him up on YouTube when, when I found out we were having him on the podcast. And my God, he is just an absolutely hilarious comedian. And he's... He's really taken the time to hone his art. Like you can tell that what drives him is more like the passion for the craft. You know, yeah. he's the opposite of what we've been talking about. This whole news and notes section, like nothing he does is for attention. And that's evidenced by the fact that he doesn't give a shit about his social media. Like, yeah, he does. all he does is focus on being better at what he does. And he's built a great living for himself doing it. But more importantly, he's found a happiness, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's found if he's found a happiness and he's constantly found something that he can get better at and he feels like he can continue toward working toward and it's 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 beautiful to see. It's beautiful when you when you encounter people like this because it's a reminder that less can be more sometimes, right? Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's uh that's 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 our takeaway and we're excited for the interview um catch you on the other side of this show the pilot boys some love by getting some of our exclusive merch at shop.pilotboys.com you're listening to the pilot boys podcast hey this is partha not only am i a pilot boy but i'm also the ceo of lasso i started lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis we design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently recover safely and ultimately be the best version of yourself We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. 
We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear. Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at undomedia.com. Welcome to Pilot Boys to a special episode inter- interview with Paul Varghese. V, I'll, I'll let you kind of jump in and get some background on Paul. I know you guys uh, have a relationship here, and you know I've, I'm super excited about this interview. Actually, Lower the expectations. Temper those Lower expectations. Just a tad. That's the key uh, to happiness. Interesting, you know, there are uh, there's a, a growing population of uh, Indian American comedians, um, many of which who are comedians by name only. Uh, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus, but there are many that I don't find too funny. Uh, yeah. Paul Paul is one that from the moment that I first saw one of your standups, I think, uh, on Comedy Central. I was like, this okay. guy's pretty funny, and he gets it. Um, and eventually, we became friends on Facebook, comment on each other's posts here and there. Um, yeah. But as we were doing this podcast, and we thought about guests and people who do things that are against the grain, uh, oh. Paul came up, and we were like, let's let's have him on. Let's have a good conversation. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. For sure. So, dude, like, first of all. Do you live in Texas right now? Yeah, I live in Dallas. Dallas. What what brought you to Dallas? Are you from there? Yeah, I'm from there. I'm from there. I'm born and raised here, whatever, for the most part. And I just, yeah. And here, man, for me, like it, uh, I never got, like I've been to LA and New York and I've done stuff out there, but it never really like, it never really clicked with me. So, yeah. I mean, I was, I started back in 01. I mean, so like, you know, they didn't give a shit about brown people back then. You know, they just hey, started. You, you've really been in this game. By the way, can we cuss or are we not allowed to cuss? Yeah, you can cuss. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. No, I started back in 01, man. So I got like a lot of love from LA and stuff like in 04, 05. But they don't know what to do with Indian people at that point. I mean, literally, if you, I don't know if you remember how old you guys are. I'm 44. But when, when back in 04, 05, 06, 07, I mean, all the way up to like probably 2014, 13, whatever. Like they don't, there's no Indian people, no brown people on TV, you know. Uh, even yeah. now, there's barely any. But yeah, imagine, seriously. Yeah, imagine back then. So, like, I was basically, I got pushed up quick because I was like a token brown guy doing stand up, basically. And I, I, I didn't think I was a token. I thought I was good at what I did, but they looked at me as like, oh, there's an Indian comedian. I'm like the only one, basically, at that point, the only one in the US from like 01 to about 06. So, then- I mean, you're, it's funny. V and I have this conversation a lot, but, you know, I'm, I'm about, you know a decade younger than v and we have this kind of relationship where i'm like bro like you trailblazed for me how do you feel seeing this new wave of indian comedians and actors and you know the tiktok stars starting to build their own footprint well i mean i'm obviously for it it's just weird because like i feel like a lot of times it's a like i got into stand-up i'm such a purist i got into it because i never saw a guy like that looked like me like telling uh-huh. jokes that were like at least respectful to the culture, you know? Yeah. yeah. So that's why that's always what's kind of dripped me. And then now I think Indians were kind of notorious. Like we see one guy doing, doing something different. Like, Oh, well I can do that too. As opposed to, I want to do this because this is, I've always kind of wanted to do that. I think people just kind of like, there ends up being a lot of copycat yeah. uh, 
artists out there, which is which is it's, you know that's their own prerogative. I just when I see when I see somebody doing something, I don't go like, well, I can do that same thing. I'm just like, no, I'm gonna do my own thing. But but it, but you know, there. I mean, when I started, there was maybe one Indian exec in Hollywood that I knew of. She was like the VP of not VP of casting, but she was high up on casting for NBC. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, so she would like put my name and stuff, but it wasn't like. It's not like how it is now, you know. And even yeah. now, I feel like it's still, for the most part, the majority of it, you're still, they still don't know what to do with Indians born and raised here. Like they, they either have to like make them have a British accent, or they got to yeah. be like really like the male king that laid still. I mean, the, I don't ever see people that talk like me on TV, you know. So, bro, I mean, I I couldn't agree more. Like, I think about you know this guy Jay Shetty. He's like a motivational. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like. He's like interesting to me because he brings a lot of like the culture, I would say, but he yeah. distills it the right way. Like he'll you'll see him dripping in his Balenciaga kicks. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's got his yeah. neck tat, but yeah. he also has the British accent and the eyes that don't match. So he's like accessible <laughs> to white yeah. people. Yeah. Well, it's, I, don't, I, don't, you know, I don't think people see us as like. Always compare like when, you, when people find out that I'm Indian, a lot of people they'll probably think like I'm either like mixed, I'm Dominican, whatever, or Puerto Rican, whatever they think they think I am. What yeah. they think I am. When they find out I'm Indian, I'm like, dude, there's so many of us around here that are born and raised that don't that fit in. And I'm like, once you see one, it's kind of like when you buy a car, you buy a new car, and you're like, well, nobody has this car, and then like a weekend, you realize everybody has a white SUV. It's like that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it's the same thing with Indians. It's just I don't, you know, I don't. I, I'd like to think at some point there'll be like. It, I'll put you this way. The, one of the very first times CBS tried to pitch me for a sitcom back in 07. And I'm sitting in the studio and I'm like, I'm sitting in this, in this office room, whatever office. And there's like the VP of casting and four other people below her. And she's like, well, I think we can make like an everybody loves Raymond kind of sitcom around him and his dad. And, you know, it'd be like an immigrant thing. And he's born and raised here and blah, blah, blah. And they stared at me and they go, do you got anything else? Like that wasn't good enough for them. Even though like there's so many sitcoms out there already you know yeah well plus i mean uh, correct me if i'm wrong wouldn't it in a sitcom format right isn't the circumstance really not that relevant to the jokes that are being made because they're situational exactly there's no reason not to have like the way they looked at me i was 30 at this point they looked at me like yeah well we can't have an indian family on tv who's gonna watch that you know what i mean (laughs) but you can you know like i mean i'm I'm in dallas so i'm like it's a very metropolitan city i don't know if you've been i mean it's diverse But it also has its rednecks too. So like, I, and they love me. They don't. They don't hate me. So I, why wouldn't a sitcom work? At that yeah. point? But they didn't. They nobody wants to be the first executive to make that leap because they're always trying to keep their jobs. They're not here to to promote the culture or, or uh, be progressive. You know. So I think the progress happens yeah. as, as strictly as a result of them realizing that there's a whole market of a billion plus people. <laughs> that hey maybe we should build some that like English content and maybe we should build some. Content well, I think that's, but that's yeah, the, ironic, the ironic thing is though, like Netflix and Amazon, instead of like giving the Indian comedians here specials, they give them to the all the dudes in India. Like yeah, you know, there's still kids here. There's a bunch of them. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying like you know I I deserve one. I'm just saying there's people here. You don't have to go to India to find Indian comics. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they can cross over to India as well. You know, you don't have to. And uh, and because of that, if you ever watch a lot of those Indian comedian specials, those Indian comedy specials from India, a lot of them are not that polished. I mean, they started three or four years ago. It's a, it's kind of a, it's a boom thing there right now. They're kind of just copying what they see over here. Um, but 
you know, to me, until I see somebody kind of doing the stuff that I do, I'm going to keep doing stand up. Basically, that's how I look at it. So, so I think let's that's it. Yeah. yeah. I was, gonna, I was just going to say, I think that's like a dope attitude to have about any sort of artistic endeavor, right? Yeah. It's like, as long as I'm the only one making the statement, it needs to be made. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, I mean, look, I started in 01. I mean, there really was nobody around. And the only one that I had heard of at that time, dogs are crying, by the way, sorry. Uh, the, only thing I, the only thing I had heard of, I heard of Russell Peters through Napster because he had one clip, yeah. clip through Napster. And then probably three years later, is that thing dropped, the, the special with the white shirt dropped that we all saw. Yeah, that was huge. Uh, yeah. yeah, and it was, it was great. But even he'll tell you, like, he's not fully accepted into American TV, and he should be. I mean, if, if you told me I was going to be making $20 million a year, uh, then I would assume that I have a show on TV. I would assume that would be enough for a network executive to be like, no matter how old you are, to be like, you know what, let's, this guy obviously has a following. Yeah. Let's, let's milk this. And the fact that they're still not able to do that, is and it can't be like he doesn't know how to act, can't be any of that because they have plenty of people who can't act, you know. Yeah, on TV. so what is what's the disconnect there is always kind of weird to me, you know. And the Canadian film side does back it, like yeah, exactly. I saw his show Indian Detective, yeah. that was excellent. It was good acting, yeah. it was good narrative, it was good plot, it was very engaging. And also, like, good candidates, also, those guys are like three or four generations deep, like, Indians yeah. aren't like. Like, uh, they're not considered like uh, freak shows as they kind of are not freak show might be too harsh, but you know what I mean? They're not, yeah, I don't know what this Indian guy I'm like. There's Indians who have been there in Toronto since the 20s, you know, like here, at least in Texas, they all moved here in the 70s. So, yeah, you know, I'm sure if I had a kid, I'm sure he would have his own Netflix special, but <laughs> as of now, they don't know what to do with someone like me, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's interesting when you, you know, spending enough spending time in those worlds, you realize the change doesn't happen until p people who look like you are put in positions yeah. of power and they're yeah. not put in positions of power by following the system, right? They're rules breakers yeah. or they yeah. had a big break. It can't be someone who's within the system because then they're so scared to lose yeah. their position that they won't yeah. take risks on content that they believe is good. Yeah. So it's a tricky situation. And I think it's across all minorities. It's like, we look at these characters on TV and many of them, even the comics, and people who do get in these positions, again, not naming names, but some of them you clearly understand that they're, they made a decision to play a role that the network yeah. or the executives told them to play, you know, well, yeah, versus I, I, being their authentic or true selves. Yeah, you know, it's, it's the, it's the remember the old Metro PCS commercials, those two dudes, you know, Sunjay and whatever they called, whatever the thing was. Do you remember yeah. those old commercials? The, they yeah. the call, <laughs> kind of goofy call center guys. Uh, I saw an interview with those guys, and they are just like us. They're born and raised here, and but you know, what do you? They want to be actors. If that's the only role that they're getting, what, do you fault them? I don't know. I mean, for me, I wouldn't do it, but I'm also writing my own script because I'm a comic. I mean, they're actors. I mean, it's yeah. hard for them to just make their own movie because they, you know, we want Indian people in movies. I mean, I'm telling jokes for a living, so I can kind of have commentary and make fun of what's going on. But but how do you? you call them sellouts? Were they wrong for doing it? But, you know, I think I that's part of it, too. Like what you're describing, I think that, you know, it, at V, it's funny you're in Atlanta recording this. Uh, Tyler Perry Studios, I think, is like one of the best examples of how a race and a culture built their own media. Right. Like BET is a great example of that. Like, I think we're walking into an era, especially with social media, where it's not just you're an actor, it's not just you're a comedian, but if you can't put together the whole piece of media, you don't really have a chance to succeed in today's yeah. digital ecosystem. It's also like, 
I, I mean, maybe it's just a cultural thing, but I feel like we're Indians are very competitive towards each other, and it's not more of like a unified yeah. thing. And I think that's because yeah. of you know we have pressure to be doctors, lawyers, engineers. Are always like, well, you got a house, yeah, I got a bigger house than you. You got two kids, I got three kids. I mean, it's it's kind of, and I, don't, I think we're still trying to navigate the landscape because I know Indian people who won't do shows with other Indian people, like comedians, because they feel like it steals their thunder. It's like, dude, if you're we're not all one, we're not all the exact same character. You know, we're yeah. not all the same people. We might be brown, but we're not being, it doesn't encompass everything about us. So, like, I mean, I'm all about pushing my people up as much as I can because I never see it. I mean, you rarely even see it on TV now. I mean, the things that always drive me nuts is when I see like someone like Aziz and Sorry or even Mindy Kaling, and this is not calling them out, but why can't they just date brown dudes or brown people? You know what I mean? It always yeah. drives me nuts. You know, yeah. and I say, that, I say this as a guy dating a white girl, okay? Yeah. But if I was going to make a show, I'd put a brown girl on it. I mean, because I, I know how much that means to brown kids watching TV because I never saw it. So yeah. um, there's always that kind of stigma that we're not like the cool, we're not the cool guys, we're not the good looking guys, we're not the funny guys. We're just kind of like there. And yeah. I've always hated that, you know? Uh, part, of, part of that is also, to be quite frank, is like you said, our cultural issues, right? Because a lot of us aren't raised to be socially normal we're all socially awkward and we get over those when we get away from that structure like yeah. part and i always talk about it, it's like whenever we meet brown people like ourselves it's like it's so rare that you just yeah. attach yourself to each other and it becomes like a community yeah. because you get it because it's like we know amongst our peers there's still people who are wearing masks yeah 50 years old trying, yeah. trying to make their parents happy you know yeah. and it's like that is going to make you awkward socially and maybe a little uncool but yeah. that's why there's a greater responsibility to kind of push that forward and normalize that yeah. as well I, i'm kind of tired of the the repetitive you know brown guy that's that's the convenience store owner or you know brown brown person that's the doctor like it's like there's more to us than that well yeah, yeah. It's it's uh they don't have first off they don't have brown people like us I'm not saying that we're vying for these jobs that they don't have brown kids born and raised here in those writing rooms or who at least have any any say in it so when you have Big Bang Theory you have a white guy's perception of what Indian culture is or Indian guys are like these kind of like asexual yeah. uh, mummy mummy and calling home every day kind of stuff yeah. and that's like that's not my reality my reality is. I'm just like a, a guy who drinks whiskey and tells jokes. Like I don't know yeah. what I fit into, and I think that. But I also think that's our our superpower is like, is like we're brown enough to not scare white people, and we're not light enough where where black people, Mexican people, don't consider us one of them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a nice middle ground, and yeah, and yeah, and I, I know this because on stage I see it. I see it with the people who come to my shows. Like everybody just feels like I'm just kind of this guy in between that can kind of fit in and. To me, why wouldn't you want to use those kinds of guys on TV? Because it would it could explode if you do it the right way, you know. Yeah, and you know, to the point you were making about really being brown and being able to cross over into mainstream America, I think there's this immigrant mindset that is so present in the way a lot of brown people approach any sort of art form, which is they approach it to fit in. To your point earlier, right? Yeah. yeah. And standing out goes against immigrant mentality because you will yeah. not have a good life if you yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah. Ironically, in America, you must stand out to make an imprint. Yeah, yeah, totally. And 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 the Indian, the the Indians in India don't have to deal with that. Yeah, you know, they can just do their thing. People will come watch her. So they can do an entire set in Hindi, 
and you know it gets a million views on YouTube. Like I'm I'm South Indian. I'm I'm you know I speak Malayalam. So like I'm, it's a very niche market if I decide to do my entire set, you know, in yeah. Malayalam. So you just kind of figure it out as you go. <laughs> Sorry, the dogs are crying again. Sorry. That was yeah. so interesting. So through the change, I mean, comedy itself has been a rapidly changing field as well. Have you experienced any of the, I mean, cancel culture, I think, scared a lot of comedians over the last several years. Like, how did how did that hit you? How did you react to it? And, you know, has it affected anything that, that you're doing from an artistic standpoint? Yeah, I, I don't, it doesn't really freak me out because uh, I've always kind of like, when I work material out, I don't know what the line is because everything, nothing's offensive to me. So... Yeah. Once I cross it, I know what it is, and I always dial it two steps back. Um, the people who are like, well, you should be allowed to say what you want to say. I'm like, you should be allowed to, but then that means you have, like, freedom of speech doesn't mean freedom from consequence. You know what I mean? Like, you say yeah. something, you can't sit there, like, there, there's a lot of, you know, and I don't, I'm not labeling whole white comics as white comics are like, how come I can't say that? You, I mean, you can say it, but you can't be surprised when there's backlash, you know? Like, social media yeah. gave a voice to the voiceless, pretty much. So, like, yeah. you know, I know that if I say anything that's, uh, that might be offensive, like I'm ready to face whatever circumstances it is. But I kind of also know the line. I mean, again, going back to being brown, you're in the middle, you know exactly what not to say about Puerto Ricans or immigrants or women or all those things. You just kind of know if you're if you're living life, you know, you're the outsider, you know. Of course a white guy may not know what to say what's offensive to Indian people because he probably doesn't have Indian friends, you know. Yeah. But yeah. so that's uh, I mean it's it's never affected me. I have never had an issue with it. But Again, I'm, I'm all, you can say whatever you want. You just can't be surprised when people get mad about it, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, we all kind of have a radar, I think, as minorities, too. The, the, there, there's a tone that we know when it's a, when people are joking, and then there's probably a sense of truth behind it. And yeah, I yeah. think recently, the, the I forget the guy who has the podcast from Austin when he was making fun of the Asian guy. Oh, yeah, that, that's a good friend of mine, too. So. Yeah, it, and it's like, okay... You have to understand that okay, you're crossing. You probably are crossing the line that yeah. I think most minorities have like an intuitive understanding of. But mm -hmm. I think sometimes the reason white comics get in trouble is in comedy there are no rules, but they they don't understand there's still some sensitivities there that you do yeah. have to kind of toe around. You know, it, it, it's not that it's not that the the generation got more sensitive. It's just that they have a voice now. Like if you if you called me the N-word on stage in 2001, which I was called it, you know, doing shows, I have no outlet at that point in 2001 to let the world know that that happened. I mean, there was no MySpace even back then. So I'm just telling my friends, what does that do? Now you can tweet it. You can tweet the video and go viral off that. And I think that's what's freaking a lot of these guys out. But a lot of these guys made it big off social media. So how are they surprised at the other side of it, you know? So... As as a comedian in the social media age, are you finding certain platforms, you know, help you? Uh, I, I noticed, you know, Twitter is one of those that you're a little bit more active. Yeah, on. I'm, I'm I'm so so like I feel like I'm too old to do TikTok stuff. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I just feel stupid doing it. Like, if I have to ask, like, I have friends who are in their forties who are doing it, and they just look like they spend half their time like looking at the camera, like, is this recording? And I don't want to be that guy. Um, I mean, for me, my following came purely off of like any kind of following came off of Facebook and stuff because I'm very interactive on that thing. So, um, but I don't really force anything every day of the week. I mean, there's certain days where I'm creative and certain days where I'm not. So, um, I'm just old school like that, man. So, yeah. It's, I mean, I love it because that old school mentality still works in today's day yeah. and age. It just doesn't get highlighted as much because the media we consume is telling us to do the opposite. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah. the whole fake it till you make it. You know what I mean? You can pretend you're famous as hell on social media and everybody, you know, buys into it. But I mean, I know the reality of what's going on. You know, I know it. I see it. There's people who also have made it by buying followers and, you know, buying comments. And if, if the second you can start, the second you're able to start buying Twitter followers and Facebook followers and Instagram followers, is when I knew it was kind of going to shit. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and let's let's delve into content a little bit, specifically as a brown comedian, right? You you kind of are in a catch twenty two because your experience is a comedian needs to speak from their experience, which is the brown experience. But mm-hmm. at the same time, that's not the only thing you care about. You make observations about mm-hmm. just everyday life that's not related to who you are as a brown person. How difficult yeah. is it when you're creating content, even when you're in your creative space? not to allow yourself to get pigeonholed. And then the, the flip side of that is if you don't just focus on that content, you might not yeah. get booked as frequently because that's what the content yeah. the market demands. Yeah, so when I started and uh, NBC told me, this NBC executive told me that I need to focus on only doing stuff about my dad. And uh, she was like, that's what's gonna sell, whatever. Um, it didn't get me anywhere with NBC, so I felt stupid doing it. So I just wrote out of it. Um, but I think they're just, they're looking for a brand of what they can pitch, but they don't even know what they can pitch. So like, you'll have some executives who are like, they don't want to hear about the culture. You'll have some executives, that's all they want to hear about. Um, if I write stuff about my culture, it, I always look at it in the, in the vein of, if, if I was a non-Indian person, could I have written this joke? And if that's the case, then I don't do anything about my culture. Like If I write about my culture, it's very super specific to my experience and no uh, black guy, white guy, messing guy could ever pull that joke out. You know what I mean? Like that's how I look at it. So that's how I know what's not offensive to my culture, you know? Um, as far as like what's branding for the networks, I have no idea. If I knew I would have done it, you know, I have no idea what they're looking for, you know? Because again, I haven't seen me on, not me physically, but I haven't seen a version of me on TV yet. Somebody that represents like, even South Indians for that matter, just that experience. I've never really seen it. So I don't, you know, I don't think if somebody else was doing that, I'd be like, okay, that's what they're looking for. But I really don't know what they're looking for. You know, I, I'm not as ease, you know, uh, I just, I don't think like he does, but I don't know what brand that is, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I think you make a really good point too. The the whole South Indian culture isn't even really exposed in that much in India. Right. So, yeah. you know, to, to bring it here and the fact that you're Malayali as well is also an even more niche perspective on being brown. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, typically a Christian perspective as well. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. And they don't mean the executives don't know what that means. They think I came here and me and my parents went to some Methodist church in Redneck, Texas and and got baptized and all the the Hindu demons flew out of our head. They don't know what that is, dude. They don't know that I was born and raised in this. That's all I know is this. I don't know if I believe the dude. I just knew that I went to church all the way up until I was 16. You know, that's what I did. So, sorry, sorry. He's throwing a fit. It's all good. And like, let's let's speak about even like you said you got your start in '01, going through that, and, and not just from like we've gone through the struggles of getting actual work, but then also how that impacted kind of you socially, right? Because suddenly it's like Paul's that guy doing comedy at a time when there were even fewer people doing it. How that impacted like you within your family, and then extended, you know, every Malayali, every South Indian, it's. The community. Your parents probably were like, "What is the community oh, yeah, yeah. going to say, Paul?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and all the Malayali kids, when I was doing really well, they all claim me as their cousin. They all know me. All of a sudden, I have <laughs> cousins I never had before. You know. Um, 
you know, one thing my sister said, because my sister is actually a priest. She's an Episcopalian priest, been a priest for like 20 years. And one thing she told me was that our parents coming here don't look at work as like something you enjoy doing. It's something they did to make money to raise a family. And we're doing work that we love. She's a priest. I'm a comedian. They don't understand what that means because work is supposed to suck and it's supposed to just make money so you can raise a family. My sister doesn't have a family. I don't have a family. Um, so they don't know. And there's no template either. It's not like they were seeing like an Indian Bill, no, Bill Cosby might be the wrong reference, but Indian, like Indian, <laughs> Indian Seinfeld or whatever. They don't know. There's no template for that. So, you know, they don't know what that means at that point. So it wasn't until uh, I started making a living on my own doing that, that they were fine with it. But I never took it as a lack of support. They just don't know what, you know, like my mom's the kind of person like when Jay Leno left The Tonight Show, she told me to call The Tonight Show so I could apply for that job. Like that's how my mom thinks, you know, it's not, it's not even a joke. But she had like, just call NBC, you know, blah, 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 call the local affiliate. They'll get you up to Hollywood and then you can go apply to be on the top. I mean, it doesn't work that way. They don't know. So um, I'm lucky in that sense. Uh, yeah. But, you know, and that's what I tell a lot of, you know, younger kids that ask me that question. I'm like, look, figure out a way to make a living. And then it becomes yeah. easier. And there's there's certain things that you just have to accept that they don't understand. Yeah. And once you accept yeah. that, you adjust accordingly. But yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand and they try to force people who've had a completely different life experience than us. Uh-huh. You know, most of our parents aren't even from cities. They're from small villages. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. they, they, they might have been here for 40 years, but their mentality is still there versus battling them all the time. Just kind of accept that they are are who they are and figure out a way to be who you are and understand that that conflict is going to exist. There's not necessarily always going to be harmony. And that, you know, and that extends also to our community, right? Every kid, it's like we're put into this world where everyone's being compared to each other. You know, such and such is a doctor, such and such is not just a doctor, but he's a cardiologist. I mean, we were, we were social media before social media. Indian, yeah. The Indian community just <laughs> constantly just lying yeah. about how successful we're doing and how better we're doing than you, you know, that's our parents, you know, that's so true. I mean, what auntie net, right? That was the first yeah, thing. Yeah. The auntie net. That's what we need to start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Man, that's fantastic. So, you know, going into the comedy, um, I mean, I don't want I don't want to just fixate on the fact you're brown, but there's so much shared experience and we don't get to have this conversation a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from an artistic standpoint, you know, I I had the the pleasure of checking out some of your comedy last night, just really, really thoroughly enjoyed the the way you approach it. Um, you want to share a little bit about the comedians that inspired you growing up and how you think about your style as it relates to the to the space? Um, uh, I mean, I. Influence wise, like before I even did stand up, I was a big like George Lopez fan because he was like the closest thing I had to like a brown guy. So I, I this is the '90s George Lopez. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't vouch for all the new stuff, but like that was kind, of, that was kind of it. But then like, hold on, hold on one second. Hey, all right, all right, now we're good. We're back. There's crying. Um, but uh, as far as like how I wrote, I mean, I kind of just. It's, I mean, like I said before, like I, I make sure that if I'm writing Indian stuff, I don't want to be offensive to my own. I want to build up my culture as is. Um, and as far as influences, like all the guys I started stand up with were my biggest influences because I saw them in, in, in these bar shows and open mics that I was doing because there's really no Indian template for stand up. You know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with Russell. I didn't grow up with Aziz or Hassan or anything like that. I just I kind of just went as I went. I mean, I didn't know what was hacked 
until I did it. You know what I mean? So, um, but I've always wanted to make sure that anytime an Indian kid sees me do stand up, it's like, oh, okay, he's uplifting us and making us look cool and not like the butt of the joke. That's always been my my mo when I when I've been doing stand up. So, yeah, I love that man. Um, from a you know peer group standpoint. Um, was it challenging to see, uh, obviously it's much more difficult to make it an entertainment Brown. Was it challenging to see some peers really take off along the way while you had kind of different, a different path, different, different challenges to deal with? So it was, it was, it was lucky for me. Um, because, and I was the only Brown dude doing it. So like I was the diversity. So like if I did like an audition mm-hmm. for BT and it's 10 black comics, and I'm the Indian guy, I had passed. It just it was a little different. Like Dallas has been very nice to me, which is why I'm so loyal to it. Like they they never really were racing towards anything towards me. They never helped me back because I was brown. They were just excited that there was a brown guy doing it. And Love so that. I've always yeah, and I've always been a little to that. Because you always think like Texas, they're gonna be like all, all the white guys are gonna get all the work. And it's never been like in Dallas. Now in LA and and, and uh, New York, you're doing like showcases. And let's say there's like you're doing a diversity showcase and there's 10, 10 people and two of them are Indian. You know that you're competing with that dude to get the one spot possibly for that. You know what I mean? You're not just, if me and the other Indian guy had the best shows, the best sets in that night. They're not going to pick two Indian guys in a diversity showcase. They're going to pick one if they even do that. So that part's a little weird and it took me a long time to figure that out. But uh, the city here has been been super nice to me. Really you, cool. you, you you hit home an important point i think that goes across both you know the creative fields and the business fields which is either you're going to adhere to the system in place or you're mm-hmm. going to carve out your own lane and your own niche yeah. and carving out your own lynch niche may yeah. not lead to you being the biggest comic or biggest whatever in your field yeah. but it gives you control and that control yeah. a lot of times is more valuable than the fame and i think a lot of people lose sight of that because yeah. people want the fame right yeah and it's i've been having this debate in my head forever because it's especially during COVID, it kind of wiped out any kind of travel i did it wiped out i wouldn't say it wiped my career but it wiped out most of it but uh the interesting thing about that is like i just want at the base level i want the comics that i work with to respect what i do and and uh the audience to respect what i do like as far as like being famous and having money like i can't control that there's so many comics who are really famous and make a lot of money that are terrible comics. So, you know, how do I justify that when I, when I go to bed? Do you know what I mean? Obviously I would love the money. I would love the fame, but like I'm more about the art because I can actually control the art. If I could control the money and the fame, I would have done that, you know, 15 years ago, you know? Yeah. I think that's a healthy mindset, man. I mean, like, I think it's something everybody struggles with, which is in any field, there's people who, you know, are not as talented at the craft that do tremendously well. Right. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to say Drake line, but he says fame is disconnected from excellence, right? Yeah, That's yeah. really what it is these days. And it's very mentally taxing to be a, a, a purist on a craft and really be working to build a skill at something when people you know, may say they're participating in the same craft and yeah. getting a tremendous amount of fame and success and financial return from it. But you, yeah. you can look at it and say, you know, there's nothing about this that's yeah. adding to the craft, adding to the art form, moving conversation yeah. forward. It's just about giving people, you know, some sort of psychological need that they have. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a, I mean, you're, you're doing it purely because you want to do it. Yeah. You're doing it for everybody else, Tim, for everybody else. You're, 
it's not going to work out. There's always going to be somebody more famous than you. There's always going to be somebody making more money than you. There's always, always in that situation. So like, I, I just quit trying to fight it, you know? Um, and then social media makes it even worse because everybody's trying to pretend that they're bigger than they are. And so it's easy to get caught up in like, oh, this guy's getting this and this guy's getting this and this guy's getting this. And like, I can't control that. I can just control like what, you know, what set I'm doing tonight or, you know, everything from that. So. That's powerful, man. Just to let go of the attachment to success, I think is a really, really powerful step for your career because it frees you to just yeah. focus on things the way you want to. Yeah, ex- exactly. And I'm not saying it doesn't bother me. I mean, there's times every few days where something will happen. I'll be like, well, why, why am I getting this? Why am I not getting this? And how come I'm busting my ass for this when you know, it's not really paying off? But you know, the one thing about, I don't know how it translates to other businesses, but showbiz isn't a meritocracy. And as soon as you figure that out, it's it's way freeing. It's like liberating emotionally. You don't, because I grew up thinking if you're the best at something, then you get rewarded for that. You know, um, I'm not saying that I'm the best at something, but I, you know, I, I, I kept a standard to what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm good at what I do and be made more money, but I can't control what a, a booker for NBC or a booker for some comedy club in, you know, Michigan thinks, you know, if they don't, want to book me they don't want to book me i can't really change my jokes to appeal to whatever i think that they want because i don't know what they want you know? yeah yeah and there, there's there's an extension to that too sometimes you know looking at strictly only the comedy too like sometimes people take for granted how people became successful like two people i have a lot of respect for are russell peters and kevin hart not so much that because i think either of them are the funniest comics i've ever seen although they have obviously excellent moments both of them do yeah it's it's the fact that they carved out their own business and control their own narrative and execute it that way which was a longer journey yeah that just has to feel liberating to to be able to say you know what they may not rock with me but i know that i can do something create something that i can create my own audience and do what i love yeah. And whether you're making a million dollars doing that or you're making yeah. fifty thousand dollars doing that, that's better than making ten million dollars or even fifty thousand dollars doing yeah. something you don't love and aren't passionate about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If I if I wanted to do a job that if I was gonna do this and gonna do stuff I didn't want to do, I could have just gotten a regular corporate job that I hated. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if I, I was like, if I'm gonna do it, I've got to do something different because I haven't seen anybody do what I do. I mean, Russell's the closest I have is as as far as like Indian peer and stand up because he started in '89, I started in '01, and we talk about it all the time when we hang out. It's it's cool to be able to talk to somebody about that because you talk to a comic like in the last five, it started in the last five years. All they want to talk about is branding, uh, you know, uh, podcasts and all these other things that really, in the end, like looking like from a macro view. It really is nothing. Like my my cousins in India don't care about you know what podcast I have. Like you just care about the content you're putting out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard. It's hard enough for me to even do these kinds of interviews because I feel like self righteous talking about stuff like that. Because, but you know, I just don't care about the YouTube numbers and stuff like that because there's plenty of guys who have like a million hits who are just garbage. You know, so I can't justify it. You know, and it's important to underscore you're probably doing better than a lot of these famous TikTokers who might get the likes and the content, but they're not performing consistently and they're not grinding yeah. through stand-up and getting better at their craft. They're just trying to create 30 to 60 second moments and that can generate attention. Yeah. You know, and it goes back to what Partha was saying about fame is disconnected from excellence, but it's also disconnected from money now, right? You have to be <laughs> able to make a, li- make a living, True. you know? Yeah. 
True. And I mean, just to, to add to it, I, Paul, it's like a super coincidental time that we're talking about this because it, it's like this struggle that's been on my head most recently is that, you know, I'm, I'm in entrepreneurship, right? I started a brand. I've kind of gone my own way, but I'm getting to that same point where it's like, why do I why do I even post on social media? Like this thing doesn't make me happy. Every time I open yeah. up my phone, it makes me less happy, more anxious, yeah. more competitive or mm-hmm. com- comparing myself to others. And, you know, I think we're getting to this point where we have to acknowledge that the man-made reality we live in isn't necessarily like what it's about. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's just more about us connecting to ourselves and doing good by the people that are around us. And it's like, that's not money related. That's, to your point, like money is more a byproduct of a societal reaction to something, right? Yeah. You don't control yeah. that. Exactly. I know, I know back in the day, maybe like 10 years ago, I remember MTV, they wouldn't take, they wouldn't take you at, in for an audition unless you had like 20,000 Twitter followers. Like that was wow. their standard. But you can buy 20,000 Twitter followers. You yeah. can buy them. Yeah. Spend 50 bucks and get them all. What does that mean? means I have to they might as well just give MTV 50 bucks like that doesn't make any sense like there was a build up to the 20,000 followers but MTV at that time they weren't aware of how social media worked you know and so and I think that's what you're seeing a lot of the TikTok stuff it's like people just want attention they hope they get viral and they get like a free you know uh pillow from you know wherever like from Bed Bath and Beyond because they open like even when people are unboxing stuff you know they're like hey look I got some something from Williams Sonoma like they're doing all these things just to get free stuff like people just want attention like that and that's to me it's toxic but i don't think social media is going away it makes so much money and people fall for it so yeah you know i just i choose not to not that i'm off social media but i don't i try not to play the narrative of what's of what's going on that i'm not going to be the guy every show was like this show was amazing thank you so much tempe and then the next day like thank you so much. i'm not gonna i don't i don't it, it's all funny to me you know so yeah I, I it's, it just feels fake and it doesn't feel like who i am you know yeah. I think I think something that I, I've learned and I've been fairly consistent with is I've never let the social media monster control my narrative in the sense that I engage with it the way that I choose to engage with it. Yeah, and it's it's kind of how I operate in life too, right? It's like I see the value in it in yeah. certain for certain things and I post like that, but I do not I'm not gonna allow myself to be enslaved by that as a metric of success ever yeah you know yeah and, and I, I'm, I think- I'm, sure, I'm sure if we were young i'm sure we probably think differently if we were 18 we probably think it was the most amazing thing ever um it's probably just the age with a lot of it too you know um well good. i mean the age i think is a it's a strength for you guys because you were more developed when it came into your lives like it hit me in early high school so most of my development into adulthood is within the context that this digital reality has weight to it and value to it right and my entire generation communicates like that like we trade instagrams not phone numbers so it's like it's this weird kind of balance where i know i need the tool to be able to stay in touch with people i like and reach out to other people like i could dm you right and be like yo what's up paul like hashtag brown boy mafia you know what i mean and gang gang right but i can't i can't let that affect my happiness on a day-to-day if i want any desire if i have any desire to be successful as a person and like that's a line that you know no no one really has figured out how to balance well i think i think if if we didn't have a computer on our phone if we had to like pull out our laptop to check social media like you had to bring your laptop to a bar 
or, <laughs> or your parents' house and, and, and actually type into Facebook or type into Twitter, uh, you would be more self-conscious. You'd realize how much you're on Instagram because you're pulling out your laptop, you're plugging it in, doing this and that. The fact that it's so easily accessible, every, the fact that everybody has a computer yeah. is so weird to me. On the, I mean, they don't, they don't look at their phone as a computer, but everybody's walking around with everything on their phone. Like yeah. everything, any, any answer to any question is in everybody's pockets. You know what I mean? And so I think people don't realize, I remember Bill Maher saying something like, if you looked at your phone as like a cigarette, how many times are you smoking a day? And that always resonates in my head. You know what I mean? Every yeah. time, I, you know, like we all have friends who smoke and it's like, you know, conversation kind of dies at the bar and I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go smoke. That's always when they go smoke is when conversation kind of goes to shit. It's the same thing we do with our phone. It gets boring. We just pull our phone out, you know? Yeah. So I think that's part of it. Like the, the accessibility to it is, is what kind of corrupts it too. You know? Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. And then, and then also the second part of it is that I don't like in part that I talk about this all the time is, it forces you to be accessible to the outside world <laughs> yeah, at all yeah, times. Exactly. You know, you if, if someone texts you and you don't text back within a couple minutes, it's, it, it breaks etiquette, right? It's like yeah, yeah. There's, there's this expectation that you're supposed to always be ready to communicate with yeah. people. And, I, and quite frankly, I'm not, you know? <laughs> we should technically be on the iPhone too, as far as etiquette goes. Like we accelerated the phone so much that like we don't know the etiquette of when to text, when to call, uh, when to, when you can use your camera. I mean, we're taking candid photos of strangers and, and posting them. Yeah. Like that's that's not cool. Like if you if you pulled out a vi- like an old school video camera and just started filming people at a bar, it, it just would be awkward. But because we all do it now, it's just like we shouldn't. Technology went way past where we know what's acceptable and what's not. I mean, I got friends. I got I got comedian buddies who text me at three four in the morning because they had like this this. Uh, brainstorm about stuff and it's like dude i had to put them on mute because it looks like girls are hitting me up at four in the morning it's like you wouldn't call me at four in the morning on a phone call you wouldn't come up to my door and do it so why would you text me at four in the morning why like why why can't you wait until eight o'clock in the morning like we don't think like that you know none of i'm guilty of it too you know yeah i mean it it's a it's a totally warped reality we live in you know and i think i think we need to all as a society campaign for more boredom in our lives. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we need that downtime. Otherwise, it, we don't work as people. It's so weird how meditation is like a big thing now. Like sitting yeah. there doing nothing yeah. is this, this groundbreaking epiphany to a lot of people. You know what I mean? And people still need instruction manuals to sit there and do nothing. They need apps to yeah. tell them how long to sit there. Yes. It's like, guys, like it's, you know, I can tell you being the brown guy in the room, it's not, it's not that difficult. Just sit there. Or what do I do? Nothing. What do I think about? Nothing. Yeah. Just sit there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's, I mean, I have my, my most, the closest I ever get to kind of zenning out is when I'm with the dogs because I have to focus on them because if I don't, they're going to get chewed up by the pit across the street. You know what I mean? So I have to be in the moment. But I'm all about doing nothing. I'm all about it. You know? Dude, the uh, you know the show Friday Night Lights. Yeah, that's my like lifetime. My lifetime goal is to go full Tim Riggins, and essentially, I'll end up in in somewhere in Texas on a ranch. Okay. I'm just gonna pull out a lawn chair in the middle of nowhere, grab a beer, and just say Texas forever. Yeah, and that that to me is the goal of life. Which I, I still do that from time to time here. Yeah, but you know, I have maybe well, a little more obligation. Well, you know, where are you guys from in India? What part of India are you guys from? Uh, my family is Telugu, so we're from Hyderabad. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that's actually one of the things that we figured out. I'm Telugu too. We're from 
from Andhra. It's so, well, so uncommon, by the way, to meet another Telugu he, person that's not a doctor. He's a Brahmin, <laughs> though, so he's he thinks he's better than me. <laughs> did my, my so your family? Your family live in like a village, or they live in the country, or in the city, or how? Like in India, you're, 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 my, you're, my family's uh, more city. Okay. In India, yeah. Okay. Yeah, like my, my family's village too. Small, small. Yeah, village. yeah. Yeah, we're like village to where like it's not even on like a map, like on Google Maps. Like the yeah. the cab driver when you pick up my me and my dad from the airport, you have to he has to know where that house is. Wow. It's that kind of stuff, and like they're this dog is this dog going crazy. Sorry. Um, they uh, sorry. Uh, their life is so simple, man. I mean, it's. You know, they're, they're fishing, they're, they're, they have a tea estate, so they make tea, they sell tea. It's like, they don't care about if I have a Comedy Central half hour, you know, they don't care if, like, it's, I feel so stupid when I think about, like, how come Netflix didn't call me back? Meanwhile, my uncle's fishing in a creek, you know, <laughs> like, he doesn't, he's beating his clothes on a rock to wash them. I'm like, this dude has the life. Yeah. He's, he doesn't even know what Facebook is, you know? And, yeah. and I think it's, it's so important, too, and I feel like a lot of brown kids who were born here, partially their parents' fault, partially their fault. I enjoy going in, in limited amounts of time, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I actually enjoy, yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoy going back and seeing where I'm from, right? So yeah. that it helps me under it helps me understand everything about life, right? Like it, it helps me with my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my family to understand that, hey, these are two different worlds, right? And it also keeps yeah. you humble enough to appreciate where you're at and, yeah. and get to where you're trying to go right i mean think about it this way like do you guys did you guys hear about the ice they had a big ice freeze in uh in dallas in february and uh all the power went out like all throughout the city and this is this was in houston too i think i think this was in, te- in houston too. The whole texas. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah the earth cut power grid thing yeah so um sorry now i'm trying to Adobe keeps telling me to update all the time. So, all right. so uh, you know, not having running water, not having like heat, like that's like that's it. That's like grandma's house. Like it wasn't a big deal. It's like I didn't have to Google how to flush a toilet. You know, I, I just know you take a bucket of water and like I know how. Like that that stuff was so shocking to people born and raised here, and even COVID. Like when people were just stuck at home, all like going crazy. I'm like, you didn't go out anyway. Like what are you? Yeah. Just <laughs> like the option being taken away. You know, yeah. But you know, we all go to India. You visit family back home. I mean, at least my family. They didn't take us out. We just sat there. We had tea, and then we we hung out for two hours, and we had tea again, and then that's all we did. We didn't go. You know, we didn't go to you know out to eat or anything. It just I just don't like that lifestyle. I totally love and I totally envy it. Um, so I'm I'm with you on there. If you if you have room on the ranch for me, uh, I'm there. <laughs> Man, I I 100% like B and I've been talking about it for a while. Like 100% want to do like some sort of situation in Texas because it just I don't know. There's something about that simple life where you pull away from stuff. You know, I played cards with my friends last weekend. Oh, V, I guess you removed yourself from the uh, thing, but um, we I was playing cards with some friends this past weekend, and it was like so refreshing to have no one have their phones on and just play a game for no reason other than we just wanted to pass some cards around and, you know, kill time. Right. And it's like, what a refreshing way to spend my time in a 
era where optimization is everything. Like if you're missing, you know, it's like if you're not working hard all the time, you're missing out. And it's like, well, maybe maybe we're not missing out. Maybe it just doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it matters to us here because we're in American culture, which is all about if you're not a billionaire and you're not famous, you're not trying hard enough. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But you can't all be billionaires. You can't all be famous because then there's nobody's nobody's famous and nobody's a billionaire. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. um, I think people, and I think a lot of that is just because we're first generation kids. We we actually get to see where we came from. You know, like it's mm. one generation away. Like my grandma's house has the toilets a hole in the floor. I can go see that now if I want to go see it. You know, like yeah. if I have kids, yeah. they're not going to know anything. They're they're going to be so spoiled. You know, um, Man, I mean. That that's a crazy thing, right? Is like going into the next generation of kids being born now and into this technological era. You know, a lot of studies with Gen Z suggest that the digital world is as meaningful to them as the physical world. Like, there's yeah. no difference. Yeah, I mean that that's nuts to put kids like you, you talk about the Matrix. Like that is putting someone straight into the Matrix when they're yeah. born. Yeah, I mean, like there's nothing social about social media. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like when you're really. Just texting your friend for four a day doesn't mean you're having a conversation with your friend, you know? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and, and you, would think, you would think that COVID would have been, like, enlightening for a lot of people, you know, just being away from friends and family and stuff. But I don't – I think people remember that lesson for, like, maybe a month, and then it was back to what it is now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's – I know both of you guys probably have experiences with this, with people who are – really really good on a social media platform seem like they have great communication skills but you get in front of their face and they can't even have a normal conversation yeah. it's yeah, two yeah. different types of of intelligence social intelligence that it takes to do yeah. well on social media and then to do well yeah. in real life and i think more and more we're we're getting to the point where everyone's just going to be sitting behind a, a computer screen and no one's going to be interacting anyway so covid may not be that bad thing maybe it's just conditioning us for our future reality you know yeah yeah well it's like when you know like when I'm, i was so glad google glass never took off you know <laughs> because if once they perfect that no everybody just could be in sunglasses sitting outside not interacting at all it's going to look very zombie like you know yeah i mean ultimately you know we're gonna have to take some sort of stand and society and we're going to have our tech factions and we're going to have our non-tech factions yeah, yeah it's yeah. going to be a weird life we live we're, we're all going to be on a ranch dude it's, it's going to yeah. happen it's going to go to a ranch and i'm fine with that wherever they wherever they ended up in shawshank redemption in the last scene we can go there <laughs> i mean if, if, you, if you look at the trend a lot of people who have become wealthy now are buying up agricultural land yeah. probably looking at that as a future for them and their family you know because yeah. It's 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 got to be even harder when you're famous, right? Or you have a lot of money, because the 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 size of the target on your back in so many different ways is bigger because the accessibility is there. In a way that Didn't never... Chappelle to Ohio, right? Chappelle moved to a yeah. small town. Yeah, so. yeah, he has a farm out in Yellow Springs, Ohio, and he and he's smart enough to realize what he did with the Dave Summer Camp. He's like, I'll bring the action to where I'm at. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Yeah, if he, if he can get to that point, I mean, if I got to the point of like a, I mean, even like a, a Jim Gaffigan or even anybody like that, I mean, like, I don't have to be Kevin Hart. I would totally just move out somewhere and just fly out when I needed to, but just kind of, you know, keep. And the one thing that COVID taught me is how to write without needing other people to write with, which was great because I used to always think that I had to be around these guys, 
to write stuff and these comics to write stuff and COVID kind of forced me to like dig deep and, and figure it out on my own, you know? So. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that is a big question, right? Is how much do you submit to the system along the way? And yeah. when do you, when do you pull yourself out? Like when is the point where you have to opt for happiness or can you balance it and yeah. be engaged and still maintain your balance, happiness and, you know, mental psyche. I don't know if, if anyone's doing it well right now, to be honest, you kind of see people yeah. on one side of the fence or the other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, again, it goes, I think it goes back to social media. It's like, because you can see how everybody else is doing or fake doing, it's yeah. hard to sit there and just be content in, in, uh, in what you have, you know? So yeah. I grew up, I grew up with nothing. So like having something is a big deal for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like standards are very low in that sense, but, I, I'm, I'm much more happier creatively than I have been like financially. Obviously I'd like to be more along, but like creatively is like off my off stage is more important than my on stage. If that makes any sense. Like on stage, I have that lockdown. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm doing what I love to do. I can go home and like sleep with like knowing that I'm not selling out my race and though I'm doing smart stuff, you know, like now when the bill collectors call, it's a little different, but it's whatever, you know I mean? It's what, it's what you deal with. But, um, yeah. you know, again, COVID, kind of leveled the playing field for a while you know and everybody was on my terms at that point which was which was mm -hmm. good but uh yeah i mean that's the only way i found to make shit work because once i got caught up early on i got caught up early on and trying to be famous and trying to do this because everybody you, i mean you guys have been to la i mean you guys are in la like a lot of them they won't talk to you unless you're important enough you know and if you're not important they don't talk to you it's high school it's high school la is high it school, is high school. yeah it is high school you know, that's why um, i don't i don't i just go in and out yeah, when exactly. I need to. That's, yeah, exactly. That's the best thing because, like, I mean, I have friends who are very successful there and they love it. And then the friends who aren't and they hate it because they're like grown men and people won't talk to them because they're not famous or they're not rich enough. And it's like you leave high school so you get out of that mentality. Like, the rest of the world doesn't go through that. You know, my parents didn't, my mom didn't go through that as a nurse. You know, my, you know, none of my family goes through that. I, you know, yeah. only, only people in showbiz go through that. And I think that's why we're kind of stunted as people. Like, we end up, being these 18 year old attention seeking people because nobody talks to you if you're not pretty enough or rich enough or, 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 or uh, famous enough, you know, and that's like, yeah. that's not a healthy uh, thing anyway, you know? Well, and I think of entrepreneurship the same way, by the way, it's like okay. the same, same exact dynamics of fame, of prestige, of like awards and all of that. And I, I'm, I'm one of the guys who is fortunate to get a lot of the recognition so that you know, I'm cool enough. Right. If, if, if I want to get a meeting, I can get a meeting, yeah. but, it's whack. Like yeah. I, yeah. I know very objectively that most of what I've put together to like build my like resume, if you will. Right. Yeah. It's bullshit because <laughs> nothing's real. It's just all yeah. like perception being put together in a way to make people see you a certain way. Right. And it's like, cool. I get that. Cause I do branding for a living. Right. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, not it's not everything you know you see the value of it and you see how much it drives people and to me like it it makes me sad when we do any sort of like and we don't do it for a reason but any sort of marketing that you know when you see how much fomo can drive action and it can drive not just action but it makes people so desperate they're willing to sell out friends sell out family just to end up in a room or just to like meet a person or just to feel validated that yeah. to me is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life, you know, yeah. and you don't see it anywhere more than you see it in LA. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and it's not normal. LA and New York, it's not a normal thing, you know, yeah. and 
you know, uh, it's it's what's good about being here. I, I have friends who don't do stand up. You know, I have friends who are not in showbiz. So to be able to just talk to them about regular everyday life, a it keeps me grounded, but it also helps me write material. I'm not, I'm not sitting around talking about the same. I mean, that's what's hard about watching Netflix specials. It's always about every every comic in LA talks about LA, and then they talk about their shows that they did and, and their meeting their auditions and stuff. And it's like it's such a bubble mentality that's not reality. You know what I mean? Like. I, yeah. I, I like to do yeah. my friends. Yeah, good. No, you, you're you're 100 percent right. And, and Parth lives in LA, so when yeah. I go, you know, when I went out there, I'm listening to some of his conversations. I'm like giving him a face because it's like I'm just hearing a whole bunch of people selling themselves to him. Like, please, please, I'm yeah. I'm I'm smart too. I'm famous too. And it's like yeah. when you're sitting back and you're an observer in those conversations, you're just sitting here like these people are all talking about who they know, but no one's making any progress on the actual yeah. goal that they have. It's just yeah. a whole bunch of people proving themselves and that's not really an effective way. And if you look at like yeah. some of your struggles and that's that boils down to when you see, if you go on Netflix, 90% of that content is terrible, right? Yeah, of course. So yeah. it all filters down because no one is really focused on the work. It's just everyone kind of climb, figuring out a way to climb over people to get up yeah. the ladder and it's yeah. it's it's refreshing to see and to meet people who say look this is my profession yeah and i'm going to work toward being great at it and what comes yeah. my way is going to come my way yeah because I, mean, I remember when i first started and i would see guys on like comedy central and i'd be like man i'm not as good as those guys you gotta be good to get on there and then i got on there and it was fine or whatever but then i would see like really terrible people get on there and i'd be like oh so there's nothing to this, am I as terrible as them, or did they just drop the standards? You know, like, so I don't feel special not getting on the Tonight Show. I've seen some terrible ads on the Tonight Show, so I'm like, if they pick me, am I just one of them, or am I actually really good? So I just don't put any any weight into any of that stuff anymore. You know? I think that's like the uh, the white SUV thing. When you're aspiring, everybody <laughs> on that platform, it's like made it, and then yeah. you get there and you're just like, wait, I didn't make it at all. This is just <laughs> yeah. you know, a meaningless recognition. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. It just all, it, it all doesn't matter. I mean, like it's it matters, but it doesn't really. It matters for like you know for maybe a ten minute conversation with NBC, but yeah, the other twenty three hours and fifty minutes of the day, it doesn't matter. You know, but that I mean, that's ultimately the thing, right? You were just talking about how in the industry, there's you know you need the people in decision making power mm -hmm. that have a progressive view, but anybody who's in the industry has likely come up in a very systematic way of thinking where they're looking at these sorts of things like being on the tonight show or you know having this special or that special or whatever as indicators of success and they're also looking at social media as indicators of success because when you grow up in an education system like we have now everything that can be measured is what we look at as whether you're successful or not we don't ever ask the question are we measuring the right thing here yeah you know yeah, we just measure what we can this is kind of a little bit off base but i'll tell you like how 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 kind of LA is, and for, at least for me, or at least how it was. I was doing this Disney, this writing workshop for uh, Disney TV, and uh, that show, Phineas and Ferb, I don't know if you know what that show I is. I love but, that show, by it. the way. Here's the, here's the funny thing. Here's the ironic thing. I don't know if they do this now, but they were probably maybe one or two seasons in. They're showing us how they storyboard the show and stuff. It's two white guys. I forgot who the creator's names were. Two white guys. It's, it's a bunch of comics. Uh, and then all the executives, and they want us to watch how they storyboard it. So they're doing the live storyboard, and they're reading while they're going through the panels. And they get, they, they, I don't know if they still do, but they had an Indian character at the time, okay? Yeah. Uh, thick accent, I, I think, like, I forgot who does who actually does the voice. 
but these two white guys did the hackiest Indian accent in the world. And it was, oh. it was almost like the kind of stuff that like, if somebody said that to you at a bar, you'd slug the shit out of them kind of thing. Yeah. They both do it. The place, everybody's laughing except the comics. Cause the comics were like, this is fucked up. Like this is an Indian kid sitting right here. It's me. They're all looking at me yeah. like, I'm like, this is weird. Like, why is everybody laughing? I'm in LA. This is where they make big decisions. This is where I'm supposed to be. You know, if I'm not laughing, does that mean I'm like hating? Am I not, do I not know the machine? Am I not part of the machine? Am I not cool enough? Am I missing something? But in hindsight, it's like, no, dude, these guys are just completely unaware that how inappropriate that is. You know, yeah. you don't even have to do the accent. Just say, you could just set his lines. I don't know what yeah. the accent was for. Like, what was, who was that for? Yeah. And so that's how backward, that's why I always remember LA. It's like, they just, they just, I mean, obviously they've gotten better now because there's more people of color in those situations. But the fact that they would even think that that's acceptable is kind of like, you know, if you want to conform to that, you can you can potentially be successful. But I don't I don't see conforming to that as like uh, it feels like it's compromising my integrity. You know what I mean? I wouldn't let a person in real life talk to me like that way. Why am I letting Disney studio execs, you know, just so I can get a paycheck? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the best things that one of my uncles said to me is he's like. There's always a price, right? There's a price. There's a price for compromising your character, mm-hmm. and there's also a price for not compromising your character. Which price are you willing to pay? And that yeah. that really has been kind of a north star for me in life. Is like choosing which price I'm willing yeah. to pay. You know, yeah. that's a good way to put it. No, I like it. That's powerful, man. That's really powerful. So, Paul, we're kind of getting to to the end of our time here. Um, anything you want to plug or, or talk about you got any new projects coming out any any sort of um i meant mean, moon tower I mean, stuff is slowly picking back up i'm doing a uh, moon tower festival in austin that's the last week of september i'll be there uh might have a one-man show in that festival i don't know yet it's not confirmed oh, nice and then i'll be recording my album hopefully by october my second one which is like it's been a long time since my first one but like every single time i thought i was ready i would have like new stuff i'm like i gotta put this on there and that stuff sucks but the second one is like I'm very super proud of it. So hopefully it should be done by October and then let's hope it goes viral for all the right reasons. Nice. That's awesome. So look out, look out for those. Um, Do you have any social media? We just trashed it for an entire (laughs) hour. Any social media people should check out? It's just Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Instagram is, is Twitter's different than my Facebook, but the, and the Instagram is just pictures of me and my dog most of the time. So, and flyers for shows. So I try to keep it as, as, as all over the place as possible, but it's, my name is Paul Varghese. You'll be able to find it. So it's amazing, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. I, this has been such a blast of a conversation. Awesome. Thanks guys. Thank you, man. All right, man. Thanks. Have a good one. Boys, we get on